1: The Financial Exchange is produced by Money Matters Radio and is hosted by employees of the Armstrong Advisory Group, a registered investment advisor that provides investment advisory services. All opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts, do not reflect the opinions of Armstrong Advisory or anyone else, and do not guarantee profit. Investments can lose money. This program does not offer any specific financial or investment advice. Please consult your own financial, tax, and estate planning advisors before making any investment decisions. Armstrong and Money Matters Radio do not compensate each other for referrals and are not affiliated this is the financial exchange with chuck zada and paul lane your exclusive look at business and financial news affecting your day your city your world stay informed and up-to-date about economic and market trends plus breaking business news every day The Financial Exchange is a proud partner of the Disabled American Veterans Department of Massachusetts. Help us support our great American heroes by visiting DAV5K.Boston and making a donation today. The DAV5K Boston is presented by Veterans Development Corporation. This is The Financial Exchange with Chuck Zotta and Paul Lane. Chuck Paul and Tucker with
2: you, and the rally that kicked off this morning is still in effect as we're halfway through the morning trading session. Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 220 points. The S&P is up 76, the NASDAQ up 350, largely fueled by NVIDIA reporting earnings after the bell yesterday, knocking it out of the park, and so NVIDIA stock up 15.27% today, just adding a tidy 250 billion dollars in market cap like it's no big deal or anything i mean that's kind of remarkable like when when you look at the largest u.s companies by market cap and say okay you know like what what does that mean nvidia today added a coca-cola NVIDIA today added a Netflix. Hmm. NVIDIA today added a Bank of America. That's that's the, the amount of valuation that we've seen gained by NVIDIA in a single day today. Incredible. It's staggering. It's absolutely staggering. So we've got that going on in equity markets. Bonds, 10-year treasury is pretty much flat down six-tenths of a basis point to four. Po- I mean, six-tenths of a basis point is pretty much nothing to uh, 4.317%. We got oil. West Texas Intermediate up 31 cents a barrel to 78.22. AAA national average for gas prices down another four tenths of a cent, though, to 3.27. Even Uh, it's down about a cent over the last week, so we've kind of seemingly hit a short-term peak here. We'll see where things go, but nice to see them not moving up anymore. We've got gold down 20 cents an ounce. Why even bother talking about it now? It's only down 10 cents an ounce to 2,034 and 20 cents and that is what is moving in major markets. Paul, let's talk about college degrees. First thing, do you know what percentage of Americans actually have a college degree, Paul?
3: 55%? 38 Okay. Wow. So
2: less than half of the population is what we're talking about here. And when we look at the people that have graduated... According to the Peace from the Wall Street Journal, and this is a study that was done by the Burning Glass Institute of Lightcast Career Histories, I follow them very closely, but I- an interesting study here, about half of college grads are working in jobs that don't use their degrees, and specifically not talking about like what major you're using, but it's, it's more talking about, hey, do you have a job that requires a college degree or college level skills and so what you see is that based on different fields of study you end up with you know some some varying rates of success in terms of finding a job that requires those skills and that's really what they were looking at was not so much what you studied but more hey are you even in a job that you know requires a college degree to begin with
3: Yeah. Interesting tidbits here on this report. That one in particular, that 52% was a number that uh, was informative. I think it does sort of echo the thoughts that kick around my head all the time that you just wonder, Chuck, with the amount of surge in tuition costs over many decades you continue to come back to is, you know, a college tuition worth the degree that you get in the end. And I think a lot of us would argue oftentimes not necessarily the case. I mean, I know you were a history major. Is that right?
2: I was, but I, I, I am also very upfront in that. I was, you know, very fortunate to go to uh, an Ivy league school that I probably didn't entirely belong at. And the value of that degree is certainly you get to you know meet some very smart professors and, right. and everyone there is you know very smart, but it's the network that that comes from there that you're effectively you know getting the, the payoff from, and I, I acknowledge that because you can find really smart professors at lots of different universities. There's there's no you know monopoly on them by the top ten or fifteen schools. It's just that a lot of those top schools already have you know people placed in very good, you know, locations from a business perspective, and you get to meet them by virtue of being in those alumni networks.
3: Off of that point, this uh, study did point out that having an internship which could be connected to you from a professor at your school or the career center at your school, that tended to lead to better success in those areas, whatever field of work you were in. If you were able to have an internship, it really increased the likelihood that you would land a job as well as landing a job that would meet the criteria that you Came with whether it be a college degree in any particular area of study. Northeastern is a great example of this. They quoted Northeastern in this report here that six months after graduation, 91% of working graduates from Northeastern in Boston report having jobs related to their major. And that's because of the requirement to complete at least one six-month internship during your tenure at Northeastern. And that really should be the focus of colleges out there. The majority of us are going there because we want to land a good job after graduation and they should be pouring a lot of resources into their career centers to justify the staggering tuition costs to at least point to the fact that, Hey, at least you're going to get a job after this in the area that you're specializing in.
2: Yeah, it's, I think this falls in the bucket of, and I've, I've talked about this before, but colleges, we, we, try to, we try to make them do so many things now that they're not really good, they're not cost effective at doing any of these things. Because when you look at it, there, there are a number of different things that you can say you want colleges to do. You can say, hey, we want them to be you know, areas that really focus on career development. But if you look at how most colleges were were founded and created and their areas of study they're not based on finding you jobs. I mean as you mentioned Paul, I I am a history major by education. There's not really a lot of jobs out there for historians. No. no. You know, it's it's just like there's 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 just not. And it's it's not to say that the major is bad because I think it taught me a ton about how to how to research and how to study and how to actually you know, incorporate information into a report, which is really useful in in this business. It's trying to aggregate all this information. But if you were trying to start a college because you're trying to do job training, you probably wouldn't have a history department there. No. And I say this as someone who loves history more than basically any subject out there. I mean, you you take a look at my bookshelf, and it's loaded up with history books just because I love reading about it. But it's not something that I, I would say if you're focused on job training that it should be, you know, a, a primary you know course that's that's offered because it, it doesn't relate to that. So I, I think that you know job training is something we talk about. But if you look at the list of majors that are out there, again, you might really love art history. But how many jobs are there in that area? Mm. It's not saying don't get that degree, but if we're talking about job training, it's inherently different. You wouldn't have that degree offered if you were just focused on training people for jobs. Second thing that college you know, c- can be used for, it's a great way, kind of as an intermediate step, to getting you out of the house and off on your own. It's, it's a way that you can be able to learn what it's like to be away from mom and dad. And have, you know, some protections built in in terms of, you know, the campus and the tight-knit community and things like that. I think that's, you know, a really useful thing as well. Do you pay $400,000 for that at private universities? No, I think you could probably do that more cheaply. You know, like it's it's, it's just not cost-effective to do that it's it, it's it's not because again you're combining all these things and so i think what we end up with is that the these colleges have you know those types of things going on and then on top of it they, they, look they're in a competition in competition it, they're in a competition that is not has not been based on price because of the idea that oh you just take out student loans and everything will be fine which is finally starting to change i think and I think that when we look at that, there's there's no there's been no competition on price, and so it's, well, now we're loading colleges up with a bunch of administrators who don't actually teach. Mm. Okay, that that's great, but is what is that improving in terms of the things that we're we're talking about? There, not much. Hey, you know what? We're building a thirty million dollar gym so that our students can work out in the best place you know possible. Well, why not just have a Planet Fitness nearby? You know, like, wh- why do you need to have some shiny new gym? A weight is a weight. I go down to my basement every morning, and I got this little, you know, six-by-eight space, and that's where I work out. There's no windows. There's no mirrors. It's dark. It's kind of musty. But you know what? It's cheaper than a gym membership, and it's it's fine. Like, you, you're in college especially. I mean, when I think about the stuff that, I like, I put up with in college, you'll do anything. Like, you'll sleep on the floor. Like, it's mm. mess. Who, who cares? Why do you need this, like, super clean, like, gleaming gym? Or, hey, look at, you know, all the food options that we have. Well, is it, is it free? Is it... No, you got to buy a food plan. Well, then why not just have, you know, a Chipotle on campus? Some You know, like, let add, someone else cover the cost of it. Yeah, exactly. Why not have a Quiznos on campus? Added 20 pounds
3: because of it. Miss Quiznos. Are they still... There no, they're still out
2: there. So their big problem was that Quiznos was the better sub, they higher quality than Subway. Yes. But then they tried to compete with Subway on price and went bankrupt because <laughs> you can't compete with Subway on price because they were putting yoga mats in their bread.
3: <laughs> and some questions on the tuna as well. The, the, the tuna lawsuit, I think. I, that I, was proven to be. That was off-right? false, right? Yeah. That, yeah.
2: But the, uh, the yoga mat thing was a thing that they were putting materials often put into yoga mats into. They're bread. Yeesh. I don't know if they still do that, but look, as a as an avid consumer of Subway during my twenties, yes, I'm, I I like to think that the yoga mat just helped to you know make me a little bit more limber and pliable <laughs> more than anything else, and I'll take that to my grave. Let's take a quick break here. When we return, we are going to be joined by Greg McBride from Bankrate, talking about credit card debt versus emergency savings. Their survey on that coming up.
1: Text us, 617-362-1385, with your comments and questions about today's show, and let us know what you think about the stories we're covering. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network.
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone.
1: Missed one of our shows? Catch up anytime by asking your Alexa smart speaker to play the Financial Exchange. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network.
3: As promised, we are joined by Bankrate Chief Financial Analyst Greg McBride. Greg, thanks so much for joining us.
4: Great to be with you, Paul. Thanks for having me.
3: Greg, you guys conducted a a very interesting survey where you found out the differences between Americans in their credit card debt currently versus their emergency savings. Two really important items if you're running a household budget. What were some of the major takeaways that you had from this most recent survey, Greg?
4: Well, 36% of households have credit card debt that exceeds what they have in emergency savings and uh paul we've been doing this poll since 2011 and uh, that is the highest along with last year uh those are the two highest that we've seen during those years uh, so that we've seen credit card debt rising more people carrying larger balances for longer periods of time this certainly bears that out um on the flip side 55 percent have savings that exceeds and this is emergency savings we're talking about that exceeds their credit card debt That's the highest in six years. So that, and we saw a couple of other things in the survey that indicate that maybe the needle's moving in the right trajectory a little bit. Uh, so I did see some some room for encouragement, certainly in the in the survey. It wasn't all doom and gloom. Typically,
3: when we're working with clients, Greg, we'll say that emergency savings fund needs to be some sort of multiple of their monthly expenses, anywhere from three, six to 12 months, depending on the industry. I'm curious, what was the, the metric kind of that uh, they use for emergency savings? Is it a ballpark in those ranges?
4: Well, we survey about uh, emergency savings at, uh, at, uh, throughout the year uh, from various angles. Uh, one of the uh, other surveys that we do during the year, uh, I think we talked about it on the show before, is is gauging how much savings people have uh, relative to their expenses. Uh, do, you do you know? Do you have enough to cover one month, or three months, or six months worth of expenses? Only thirty percent of households have enough to cover at least six months worth of expenses, and you know, what was particularly troubling, 22%, didn't have any emergency savings at all.
3: It's staggering out there. It's just uh, what people have set aside. Any uh, demographic trends that stood out to you when you conducted the survey, one group versus another being better prepared?
4: Well, we talked about credit card debt exceeding emergency savings. There was a higher propensity for that among millennials and Gen Xers. Um, Of course, those are the prime years of rising household expenses. You're, you're buying houses, buying cars, mm. raising kids, sending kids to college. Uh, and, and sure enough, we, we see that borne out. And um, on the other side of the coin, those that were most likely to have emergency savings in excess of their credit card debt were baby boomers. Um, and it's not that, uh, you know, we've seen some troubling statistics about baby boomers and their finances before. Uh, So it's not like, you know, on average, they're sitting on a pile of savings, but it's a testament to the fact that building up that savings cushion, that six month savings cushion, it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And we do see a higher propensity to have emergency savings and to have enough emergency savings uh, as you get older.
3: That's Greg McBride from Bankrate, uh, Chief Financial Analyst. Greg, thanks so much for the time today. Appreciate it.
4: Thanks, Paul. Appreciate
2: it. Paul, Berkshire Hathaway has $150 billion in cash. What are they going to do with it?
3: Oh, I wish I knew the answer to that, Chuck. It seems like there is a tradition every six months for a story to come out regarding how much cash Mm. Berkshire has on the balance sheet. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway will come out with their earnings report on this Saturday where Warren Buffett will provide perhaps some additional guidance. But uh, he – Usually moves in in different manners. It's hard to really predict where he's going to be going with cash. He's always looking to acquire businesses, but uh, has been relatively muted in terms of activity over the last several years. I can't really recall their last big acquisition. Certainly, they've been making a lot of splash in the energy sector with their purchases of Chevron and Occidental Petroleum. So it will be interesting to see if they increase their stake there and they had trimmed a little bit of their apple stock but they continue to sit on a fortress of cash
2: taking a look at markets dow is up 259 points right now s p is up 84 nasdaq now up 378 points almost two and a half percent on the day thus far so continuing to see just some rather strong performance at the moment in u.s equity markets we're going to take a quick break when we return Why those large appliances that you buy don't seem to last as long as they used to.
1: Bringing the latest financial news straight to your radio every day. It's the Financial Exchange on the Financial Exchange Radio Network.
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone.
1: Tune in for Trivia, brought to you by Applebee's. Every day at 1120 for your chance to win cool prizes. Text us at 617-362-1385 and use keyword Applebee's. Complete rules are available at FinancialExchangeShow.com. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network.
2: Paul, do you like appliances? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I love them. Big ones or small ones?
3: Bigger the better.
2: All sizes. So there you go. So the lifespan of large appliances is shrinking. It's a headline in the Wall Street Journal, and it's talking about how you simply don't have the same kind of quality and reliability for things like refrigerators, dishwashers, and ovens that you did previously. And there are a couple different reasons for this that make sense. The first is that these machines are more complicated today than they used to be they have more settings, more features, more computer chips, more modes, more different things they can do. And so that's just more stuff that can break. The second piece is that in an effort to save cost, you have companies trying to save on materials. And so as an example, something that might have previously been made, you know, an internal piece that might have previously been metal might now be plastic and flimsier. And so it breaks more often. And so that's kind of what we're seeing. But the net result here is that consumers are not thrilled about the declining quality that they may be seeing
3: well not to mention chuck the company wants to accelerate the sales cycle too where they don't just sell you something that you hold for 25 years they'd rather use that cheaper material to your point so that it does break down in five to seven so you have to go out and buy a new refrigerator or a new washer dryer but this to me i feel like all of our listeners could relate i know that my parents had a uh a dryer that was probably 25, 30 years old, a refrigerator, the same sort of deal. Those things were lasting forever, but now you see these newer ones coming nowhere near that lifespan. I do think that the technology piece is one part of it and some of those other factors, but I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with this. I think you can see this everywhere.
5: My, uh,
2: my I'm, I'm trying to think because I, I think about what I've bought in the last, you know, eight years since I've, since I've owned a home and I've bought a, dishwasher and oh and a uh, a washer and a dryer that's that's basically when it comes to appliances that's what i've i've purchased so it's it's not a huge sample size but i haven't had problems with you know any of any of them um the the house that i moved into had you know a, a an oven that was like 15 years old that was on the fritz a little bit but you know there, there, we had someone out to fix it once just because i couldn't figure it out It's beyond my skill set but I haven't personally seen anything, but when you look statistically, just trying to figure out, like, is, is this real or not in terms of, you know, what we're seeing, there's a quote in here. It says, Yelp us- users, for example, requested 58% more quotes from thousands of appliance repair businesses last month than they did in January 2022. Well, I don't think appliances got 60% less reliable in the last two years, because, A, like, everyone didn't buy new ones in the last two years, and, B... Like, just because Yelp users are requesting it, that doesn't mean that overall you're seeing it. And the other piece is, well, January of 2022 was still, you know, kind of in a a world where a number of people are still in shifted habits from the the pandemic. And so maybe that's influencing it as well. So I I don't think appliances got 60% less reliable in the last year and a half.
3: I have the uh, same appliances that you've had, Chuck, the purchases and have run into issues with uh, my washer. What kind of stuff? uh, Again, it came down to specific technology parts for the GE washer that needed to be replaced. It was covered under a three-year warranty that I had. And then similarly, my in-laws have a, a home down the Cape where they installed a new heating system. And again, it was a situation where all the zones were having issues, and it came. It just always seems to come back to a, a chip or a technology, a technology piece in there that is just not easy to fix, and it seems to make these appliances more finicky in general.
5: We uh, we bought a washer back in October, November, something like that, and last yeah. last month, the transmission went out on it uh which is a major part obviously so we had to get a guy out there and it was obviously under warranty but it's just like we just bought the thing yeah. and it's breaking down already what i'm with Did you do an oil change <laughs> i was like they have transmissions
2: really check the carburetor yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah it's look it, I, I think it's the other thing is it, it's binary like both of you are like oh like this is a problem and i'm like no it's not because our, our personal experiences right. are just different with what we've seen so you know i have other things that i think might be problems that you guys are like no like i've never had that issue but it's it's just i I don't see any great stats that show like conclusively how much worse the problem is today than before.
3: Text us at 617-362-1385 if you are in agreement with Tucker and I that these appliances these days, they don't just, make them like they used to.
5: Just real quick, we have a downstairs refrigerator that keeps the coldest of all the beers. Uh, 30 years old, maybe more, mm-hmm. working like a charm. And we, uh, we, uh, my in-laws had a fridge um, they purchased in 2007 or something like that. Boom, gone, last year.
2: My parents you. had a fridge that was so old that the, uh, the the problem they ran into was the door fell off one day because the hinges <laughs> rusted out. <laughs> that was a uh, that, that was that was a fun one to try to uh, to deal with. Let's talk a little bit about this piece in Bloomberg, Paul. It's titled "Your 401k Will Be Gone Within a Decade," which is obviously like the scariest of scare headlines. And it's not talking about how, like, all of the money is going to be taken out of your 401k, but rather what it's talking about is how there's a significant case that is being made politically to either change or move away from the 401k as we know it.
3: I was stunned by this piece, Chuck. To me, this wasn't something that was on my radar, particularly with the SECURE Act. It seems like... In our country, there's been more of a focus on making retirement accounts more accessible to individuals out there. So this idea or this notion that they are going to be phased out, to me, was surprising. The thing in the piece that I believe that they're underestimating is that Americans really need that payroll deduction to be automated in order to bolster retirement savings. The argument is made here in that some other countries that even without a retirement account, people were setting aside money in another savings account. And to me, um, I fall against that argument where I feel as if most people in this country spend what they make and what comes into their bank account. And it would be detrimental to just assume that people are going to save on the net paycheck that comes into their account
2: so what this is uh, also pointing out though is that what is likely to become bigger and this might be you know pushed by congressional action over the next decade is what's known as an employer-sponsored liquid account and so it still can have a payroll deduction that goes automatically into this account right but rather than being a tax advantaged plan where you receive a tax deduction and then you can't touch the money until 59 and a, half without a penalty. This would be something where the money goes into this plan, you don't get a deduction, but you can use the money as you see fit over the course of your lifespan. So it could potentially, you know, still have the same encouragement for savings that yeah, you can still do it via, you know, your your paycheck, but the downside, you don't get a tax deduction. The upside is you can use it whenever you choose, and maybe the downside there becomes do people, you know, spend through their retirement? If they see like that, they that, have their access to the savings. But I don't know. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of of the opinion. Look, if if you give someone the opportunity to save money and they spend it, it's kind of a them problem, not a you
5: problem.
3: It's true. That, that's true. I just I do feel that people would be more likely, even in that scenario, to spend down from it if they're looking for a home renovation or something to do. They would go and access that liquid account. Uh, you know, it's anyone's argument as to. Maybe you just say, hey, that, that's their prerogative to do that. They should be able to have the opportunity. But I do feel like that penalty, oftentimes for people's benefit kind of keeps that money tucked away. And also, if you think about it from an investment standpoint, Chuck, probably people mm-hmm. less likely to are more likely, I would guess, to blow out of the market and maybe take money out versus a retirement account. When you have that idea of 59 and a half, you kind of keep it in there longer and invest it more aggressively.
2: Folks, if you've got questions about saving for your retirement, these are questions that the Armstrong Advisory Group answers each and every day. Whether talking about retirement accounts, non-retirement accounts, pension plans, these are things that the Armstrong Advisory Group can help you to sort through as you figure out where is your income going to come from in retirement. Phone number for the Armstrong Advisory Group is 800-393-4001. Or you can go to armstrongadvisory.com, click the Get Started button, and schedule a time to speak with a member of our team. That phone number, again, is 800-393-4001, or go to armstrongadvisory.com.
1: The proceeding was paid for by Armstrong Advisory Group, a registered investment advisor. Nothing in the ad or in any Armstrong guide is specific financial, legal, or tax advice. Consult your own financial, tax, and estate planning advisors before making any investment decisions. Armstrong may contact you to offer investment advisory services.
2: California, home of the dumbest minimum wage law in the country. That's the one that requires fast food workers to earn a different minimum wage than every other industry in the state. Uh, California signed a new law, rather California Governor Gavin Newsom signed a new law in October that is going to, quote, ban junk fees across a variety of businesses. Now you've got restaurants saying, hey, if we can't charge, you know, different surcharges on items in order to provide our employees different benefits, then we're going to have to raise menu prices, to which I... So, again, I, I've been very critical of the, this, the, the California fast food minimum wage law because it's it's dumb. Like, why would you have a minimum wage for one industry? Why do we think we can micromanage an economy like that? It's stupid. But if you're a restaurant that's saying hey, we're going to have to abandon surcharges and raise prices. Well, isn't that surcharge just adding the price on anyways? And so isn't the price going to be the same, but it's just going to show up on the menu instead of having an added fee at the end?
3: Just being put in a different place. Yeah, it's that's... just being put in a different place. Hmm. What, what type of fees are these? Are just the extra service fees at the end of your check that they're typically stashing these under? I think so. Okay, okay. But it, like,
2: it's, it's not even clear if anything would apply for these restaurants. Restaurants are just freaked out that it might apply to them.
3: Maybe it's the the sticker shock for the consumers that they see a higher price on the menu where you're less likely to look at that bottom line. I'm struggling, Chuck, to really figure out why I mean, this like would if, be such a big deal. So if,
2: if, if I'm a restaurant and there's one place here, I'll, I'll quote on this. At this point, we're going to have to raise our prices a big chunk," said award-winning restaurateur and wine director Caroline Stein to the LA Times. Stein claimed an item that previously listed for thirty-nine dollars would rise up to forty-nine dollars. Well, they're obviously making that ten dollars somewhere else on these surcharges and fees. It's not like the total cost to the customer is going up, because this is talking about this. This has nothing to do with you know minimum wage. If you if you have a wine, you know director at your restaurant you're not fast food i'm sorry so it's not not related to you know minimum wage and fast food but this is talking about hey if we can't charge these surcharges we're gonna have to raise prices but the surcharge is a price to the customer it's just not showing up on the menu so i'm not quite sure what's going on here let's take a quick break when we come back stack roulette
1: miss any of the show The Financial Exchange Show podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star review. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network.
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone.
1: miss any of the show catch up at your convenience by visiting financialexchangeshow.com and clicking the on demand icon where you'll find all of our interviews and full shows this is your home for the latest business and financial news in new england and around the country this is the financial exchange radio network
3: paul what do you got for me for stack roulette Chuck, there's nothing that drives us crazier than seeing someone cut you in line, whether you're at the grocery store or your local deli shop. However, many businesses throughout the country have been instituting policies that do allow for people to cut the lines if they are willing to pay, whether it's the uh, clear membership that TSA offers for those who want to get ahead of the line at security checks at Logan Airport, or if you're at Disney World, the Fast Pass, which that one's been around for a long time. I think they were kind of maybe some of the early pioneers of this, but if you're willing to pay, companies are willing to allow you to cut the line. I didn't realize that the dating app Tinder also offers a $500 a month membership. Wow, that's a lot to skip the line, to prioritize a dater's profile. So everywhere you look, if you've got the money, people are willing to uh, to let you cut that line. And to me, I guess if you're gonna pay, that's uh, that's the perks that you get from uh, laying I, down that cash. How does that work on Tinder? What <laughs> line are we cutting here? You get the first profile listed for any swipers out there. It doesn't take too long to get to your profile, but I don't really understand if that benefit is going to get you $500 a month. If you're a hot catch, then you're going to get picked up. But if you're not and you're spending 500 bucks a month, I don't think that's going to change anything. It's just first in line. That doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get matches.
5: Oh, you'll get matched. Interesting.
3: <laughs> you, I, well, you, look, <laughs> I've often said... This guy's wealthy. I've he often spent said... $500 a month, or he's desperate. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I've often said, if I were going to you know, have a Tinder account, I would use Paul Lane's photo oh. on, my, on my Tinder account.
3: That is the nicest thing you've ever said about me. Wow. I'm you're welcome. Feel, feeling you're great. Welcome. Feeling good.
2: Uh, I want to talk about Beyond Meat. They're launching a... Actually, no, I don't want to do that. I want to talk about Apple. They just launched an Apple sports app for their phones. And the only thing that I can think of right now, it basically just shows you like the scores of games and it has uh, betting lines in it. And it shows standing
5: same day, right? Same thing as Yahoo Sports similar. App. It's
2: it, what's nice. I, I downloaded it just to check and it's, it's very clean. Like you can yep. just see the scores of the games and it's nice. Apple is not doing this to be nice if you don't think that apple is going to make a major push into sports betting and sports broadcasting like this this is the first step in my opinion towards that you think they could Especially acquire the fa-
5: you think they could go to acquire a sports book maybe Or is that no, they won't want
3: to deal. I don't know if they'd want to deal with the regulatory headaches that come with uh, with the gambling. To me, it's NBA rights deal coming up. Yeah, they're going to really segment out the streaming capabilities. They've seen what the NFL has done with Amazon Prime. I'm sure the NBA is loaded up to grab a big check from someone like Apple for uh, for some of their their product. It's got to be something like that, Chuck.
2: This feels like where they're going on this, and I I, I don't know what the timeline is or exactly what they're going to do, but you don't launch a sports app that just shows scores because you want to be nice to people.
3: I may check it out because the ESPN one, which I use for the majority of my scores, is a little kind of – there's some issues that I run into intermittently with that. What do you guys use typically if you're looking at – I subscribe to The Athletic, and so they have a nice
2: little app that, that does that stuff. Yep.
5: Uh, Tucker, how about you? I usually use Yahoo Sports, and it's fine. Hmm. So I downloaded Apple. It's it's pretty much the same thing, literally. For now. Taking
2: a look at markets,
5: the Dow is up
2: 259 points. s and is up 80. NASDAQ still up 363. We're done for the day, but uh, we're, we're going to see you tomorrow, which is wonderful. And uh, we're looking forward to it, so we'll see you tomorrow.